this is Dr. Manta Gupta. I'm professor of urology at the Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York and head the Kidney Stone Center for Mount Sinai. And I have with me two very distinguished guests for this podcast that is sponsored by Cook Medical and the Journal of Endourology. Today we have with us Dr. Leigh Ajayi, consultant urologist and head of endourology for the Royal Free Hospital in London. Dr. Tom Shi, professor of urology and the Kutzman Endowed Professor at UCSF. So our discussion today will be focused on laser lithotripsy, and I'd like to start off by talking about some of the pitfalls we've had with the lower watt lasers. Dr. Jay, what have you seen with problems with the lower watt lasers that have led us to develop newer devices and machines? Well, the lower watt laser has been very successful in assisting us in lithotripsy and stone fragmentation. However, there has been some challenges around its efficacy as a tool. One of the most key things, especially when dealing with stones in the ureter, is the retropulsion. When you're dealing with a proximal ureteric stone and you're trying not to prevent the stone from retropulsing, it's very difficult with the current laser technology. Obviously, even more challenges when you have a large stone and you're fragmenting a large stone, the issues whether or not you can dust the stone or go through popcorning or fragment. And if you do think you've dusted beautifully, you still end up sometimes with large fragments. And then you've got to deploy equipment to try and stone retrieval baskets, etc. All of which are quite time consuming. And what should be an effective procedure can take a long time based on the laser technology that we currently have at our disposal. So Dr. Chi, what are some of the advances in laser technology that you feel have helped answer some of the challenges? Well, I definitely think that the move from lower wattage lasers to higher wattage lasers has been a probably a big paradigm shifter for lasers. I think that having a high-powered laser puts the ability to dust into your hands. Dr. Jay's comments about being able to attack the larger stones and retropulsion, I think really, you know, that first paradigm shift came with the introduction of the 80 to 100 watt laser boxes that then allow you to really get to high frequency, low energy settings. And with those types of settings, then we're talking about trying to really dust and make very, very small, small bits out of stones so that you can potentially not have to do as much time basketing. And I think that was a really big improvement in terms of lasers going from low wattage to high wattage lasers. And also, we have seen that the newer lasers allow us to modulate the pulse duration or width, and that can affect the peak pulse power and also affect retropulsion. So, Dr. Ajayi, would you describe where you think that the pulse modulation of the duration of the pulse fits in with our treatment scenarios? Well, with the new high-powered lasers, the pulse modulation has really changed the way we work. Being able to change the pulse width, so, so to speak, can really adjust your ability to reduce retropulsion. So if you can increase the pulse width, the stone doesn't necessarily get away from you as much. Trying to work out exactly what's the optimum is still a challenge. We're still working on that. But by being able to increase the, modulate the, the pulse width can affect your ability to dust stones and also can change whether or not you're fragmenting stones. So a real game changer, in my opinion. So do you think, Dr. Chi, that being able to fine-tune this even more and choosing not just a long pulse setting or a short pulse setting, but actually go in between with something like master pulse has a benefit to the clinician when they're treating a stone? Yeah, I think that's what's kind of really cool about this particular time in, in laser technology and development is that after many, many years of not really much change, now we're seeing some real advance in these technologies. So now we're not just talking about going high power, low power long pulse width, short pulse width, but these really fine adjustments in the actual pulse duration and the shape of the pulse 
things like Master Pulse, I think have the potential to really change the way that we're able to approach stones now, because now it allows us to do things like virtual basketing. So, you know, could you actually get away from even needing a basket at all, maybe use that pulse width to move the stone around in ways that actually make sense for you clinically while you're doing your surgery? So I absolutely think that these new, finer enhancements of the pulse are really going to change the way that we're able to use these lasers. It's a really neat time for lasers right now. And Dr. J.E., what do you think are the benefits of, in more granular detail, the benefits of having a double pulse as with the Moses or with the new quanta laser and the concept of the vapor tunnel? And how has that changed yes. your practice? Well, I have to say I'm a huge fan of the vapor tunnel settings on the quanta laser machine because the advantage being you can actually work off the stone at a distance. Once you find out what your optimum non-contact technique, you can work out what your optimum distance is from the stone. I find you dust stones better. You can do larger fragments quicker. And when you finish, it is pure dust you find in the bladder. So in terms of the fragment size is so much smaller, it really sets you into a dusting settings. So having a vapor tunnel settings, I find very beneficial. And have you found that with the vapor tunnel, you get a virtual basket effect where the stone is drawn into the fiber? Well, you can change the settings for the vapor tunnel settings, very different from the virtual basket settings. I tend to use the virtual basket settings in the ureter. And yes, once you find the optimum settings, you do have an ability whereby, yes, the stone doesn't move away from you. There is feeling that the stone does move towards the fiber. But in fact, what I'm more impressed with is the fact that the stone doesn't get away from you using the virtual basket technique. Whereas in the kidney with a vapor tunnel technique, I do find that I'm able to work away from the stone, non-contact, and with good dusting, incredible dusting, in fact. So there's two different settings, depending on whether you're going for a virtual tunnel or a vapor tunnel. So Dr. Chi, what are your preferred settings for dusting? How do you approach a stone that you want to dust, and how do you fine-tune your settings to get the best dusting effect? Well, I think for the most part, you know, people who are approaching the concept of dusting, the idea being you want to have a really high frequency, as high as your machine can manage, and a low energy, that's kind of the overall concept, I'd say. You know, the most frequently published settings for that is uh, 0.2 joules and a frequency of about 50 hertz. But I think that since those initial complications came out, folks had their various kind of favorite dusting settings. And now that we're accounting for these new different pulse durations and different kind of laser-specific settings, it changes some things. But overall, that concept of low energy, high frequency is probably the thing to start with. When I have my standard non-fancy high-powered energy laser, I have like a 100-watt box. I generally start off with 0.3 and 30. And that's kind of my medium grounds. And I think that from a technique standpoint, what I like to do is start from something that knows kind of a middle grounds. And then a lot of times a stone's going to tell you what it's going to give you. So, you know, some stones, you go at them and you think, oh, geez, that's just, it's never going to dust. And so you can start with something and then modulate up and down your energy. So if you got 0.3 and 30 in my hands and I start there and I try to dust and I realize, well, it's really not making much progress. I might go up in the energy and that might force me to go down in the frequency a little bit. But the stone kind of tells you which way you ought to go in terms of how efficacious your settings are right then and there. And so I'll generally start with 0.3 and 30, and then I'll move up and down the energy and then up and down the frequency based on what I'm seeing from stone. So dusting is an excellent technique, but Dr. J, are there situations where you feel it's more prudent to fragment or cleave a stone instead of dust the stone, or should dusting be the standard for every stone? Well, dusted sounds very appealing to all concerned at the moment. With the newer high-powered watt lasers, you are effectively able to dust those beautifully. 
there are scenarios where you might want to fragment the stone and eliminate it, but in the vast majority, most people will now start with dust and settings. Obviously, if you're doing you know, mini PCNLs or various other percutaneous renal surgery using laser technology, in some cases, you might want to fragment and remove those fragments that way using the fragmentation. But in the vast majority of cases, I think dust and setting is the way forward. I also find that when we're using the virtual basket, and I agree with Dr. Chi, you want to start with a low energy, high frequency, and my setting is normally 0.5 and 30, 30 hertz with 0.5 joules. And that's my baseline. And depending on how dense the stone is, I can change the settings. And this is the advantage of this new generation of lasers is you can pulse, you can change the width of the pulse, you can increase your frequency or energy accordingly. So the fact that you can actually change settings to what's required of you then, then if you're dealing with a cysteine stone versus if you're dealing with a monohydrate stone, the settings will be different. So you need to be able to adapt accordingly. Dr. Chi, let's go through some clinical scenarios now. For typical semi-rigid ureteroscopy for an impacted stone, how would you approach that stone and what laser settings would you prefer? In that situation, you oftentimes don't have very much space to work. And so the nice thing is that with the semi-rigid scopes, say you're in the distal ureter and you have very impacted stone, the nice thing is that you've got good flow because of the semi-rigid nature of your scope. And so I think that the key is really starting with a laser setting that it's not going to damage the ureter just because there's not a lot of space. And so generally speaking, I'll get right up to the stone and if you're using either the vapor tunnel or some other type of setting that allows you to be a little bit distant, I'll tend to go away from the distance type settings and I'll use contact settings so I'm right up against the stone and that way I won't have any errant shots going against the ureteral wall and I'm going to minimize damage there. And I'll usually start with dusting only because I worry that if I hit against the ureteral wall, I want to minimize my energy spread. And so I'll tend to start with low energy in that situation and then just try to get an edge on started on the stone. And as I kind of work my way into the stone and make a little bit more space, then I'll make that judgment call of whether or not the dusting technique is working well or whether or not I want to go to exactly what you were saying before and what Dr. J was saying before, go straight to a cleaving setting. So if I can crack that stone in a couple pieces, it might be a little faster, especially with my semi-rigid scope to just grab those pieces out, put them in the bladder, get right back in the ureter and get the rest of it cleaned up. So that's generally the way I'll start the case and then make a decision as I'm going along. And Dr. Ajayi, what about another challenging situation with RIRS if you have a lower pole stone? What would your approach to that stone be? Well, I think the key thing, especially in the lower pole stone, is to avoid lasering in the lower pole if possible. Obviously, there are some bolt tip fibers which you can use in that scenario, but you risk damaging your flexible uterinoscope. So my approach to lower pole stone is to manipulate the stone using a basket such as the N-gauge, move the stone to the upper pole. I use an access sheath whenever possible. I tend to 12 French access sheath, 35 millimeters, just to keep the intrarenal pressure low with a gentle irrigation. One has to be careful about intrarenal pressure. You want to be able to see what you're doing, but not necessarily distend the kidney to cause a lot of bleeding and perhaps damage the, uh, or cause some lymphatic uh, uh, drainage issues there. So a uh, low pressure into the kidney, and with a stone in the upper pole, I would deploy a fiber. Again, similar scenario. You want to use low energy, high frequency. And I start from the periphery of the stone and look at it, see how it dusts. Ideally, in this scenario, I like to dust stones. So dust it from the periphery of the stone and looking at the composition of the stone, work my way across and try to dust the stone. I like the vapor tunnel settings in the kidney. 
I stay off the stone if possible, non-contact, so you have good visualization of surrounding urothelium at all times, whilst you dust and hopefully dust completely the stone. Occasionally, obviously, you need a stone for analysis. So towards the end of the procedure, you want to have a small enough fragment, I will remove the stone with the aid of the N-gauge and obtain a stone for analysis. One concern in the literature recently has been how we're heating up the tissues when we're doing some of these higher wattage settings with our laser. Is there any special technique you employ, Dr. Chi, to avoid tissue damage? Do you do a pause? Do you think the vapor tunnel has any benefit in this regard since you're staying away from the stone more? I think that that's a really important point that we start thinking about as we move towards this era of really high energy lasers and high energy settings. The concept being that the potential for causing strictures or damage to the kidney by heat transference is a big deal. There are some very nice groups all over the world who are doing studies to look at these effects. Michigan, University of Michigan comes to mind, and they're looking to see, you know, how much of this is a problem. So, you know, I think the couple things that can keep you safe. One thing is the use of flow. So I think that some folks like to have a really, really slow flow. I totally agree with Dr. J's comments about making sure that you don't over distend or cause problems with pressure while you're irrigating. But in the use of really high power settings, it may be the case where you want to have some element element of reasonable flow so that you're cycling the fluid throughout to try to keep heat from gathering inside the kidney. And so if you know you're going to be up in the kidney for a really long time using very high energy settings, it may be that you'll want to use an access sheath to make sure that you've got flow cycling fluid through to keep the uh, fluid from overheating. The other thing to think about is that if you're in the ureter, that may not be the place to use the highest possible settings because in that much more closed space environment, heat transference may result in ureteral strictures. And I do think that what you're saying, Dr. Gupta, about trying to be off of the stone a little bit does tend to keep you a little safer sometimes, just in that you might be able to see how close you're getting to the ureteral tissue. That could be a, a really important thing to do. So if you've got a distance setting that lets you have a slightly better view of your total working environment, that might keep you in a safer position relative to the urethelium around you. So I think that situational awareness, being aware of the tissue around you, being aware of your fluid and your working location, those are all things to try to keep in mind to reduce your chance of damaging things. And of course, a lot of the heat transference work is still a work in progress. So hopefully a lot of the studies that come out are going to give us better direction as to what we ought to be doing. We had mentioned, Dr. J, about mini PCNL. And let's move on to that. And I'd like to know your technique for using a laser with mini PCNL. What size fiber do you like to use? What settings? And does your goal there change from dusting to fragmentation so you can use the vortex effect to get the fragments out? Well, for many PCNL, obviously the indications that which continue to grow and change, the more technology we have at our disposal, the more encouraging we are at taking on large fragments of stones for using the mini PCNL technique. My go-to size is roughly 18 French. And once you access the stone, put up the setting similar to what I do for retrograde intrarenal surgery and have a low energy, high frequency fragmentation. The fact that I have a shorter diameter from the kidney to the outside means you have a better flow. I can also perhaps increase the energy delivery or occasionally the frequency so I can work faster. You're dealing with larger stone fragments, so you need to be slightly faster in your vaporization. So by increasing the frequency up to about 40, sometimes 50 watts, might get the job done quicker. The challenge being though, with the fibers, if you increase the frequency, you get a lot of fiber vibration. 
And that, again, is a challenge in terms of affecting your visualization. So one has to think about really the optimum laser settings in this scenario. But for mini PCNL, you do want to be able to dust and you want to have that vortex effect, which allows the kidney to drain at the same time. What's your preferred fiber size? Do you use a 200 micron, 365, 550? I will use the 200. Do we hear the expression? Smaller fiber, smaller fragments. So if you can use a smaller, you're comfortable with a smaller fiber, you get better dusting, in my opinion. You also get better irrigation and you worry about burn back. But in fact, this fiber technology is that more effective now that you don't destroy the laser fiber. I think that that last comment is a really important one. You know, I think that the concept's always been around that you should use the largest size fiber that you can possibly get to because of the least amount of burn back. At least that's the way I was taught when I was young in my training. And I think nowadays you're almost better off using the smallest size fiber that you can get away with to get the job done. You know, a 200 micron fiber nowadays burns back a lot less with these new settings and the new fiber designs that are matched with the lasers tend to burn back less. And so if you've got a smaller fiber, you can work in the kidney going upper pole, mid kidney, lower pole with a lot more flexion. A nice trick that I've adopted with these smaller fibers is that if you're using a scope that has a big enough channel, you can put the small fiber, a 200 micron fiber, as well as a basket in the same working channel so that you can not have to switch back and forth between instruments. But if you have both the small laser fiber and the basket in side by side, it's a nice little trick to be able to kind of save yourself some time. And the small fibers kind of enables you to do that. And so I do think also, you know, hand in hand with these new high powered lasers has come development of new technology with laser fibers. And that's allowed us to get the smaller fibers with just as much or more efficacy nowadays. So I think it's a really important point that Dr. Ajay to highlight. Well, we all talk these days about dusting the stone and what's the best way to dust a stone. But we all know that sometimes with a really hard stone, the stone chooses the setting rather than the other way around. So I'd like to ask you, Dr. J, and then maybe you can chime in as well, Dr. G, about how would you handle a super hard stone, let's say 2,000 Houndsville units, calcium oxalate monohydrate? How would your approach change when you know a stone is that hard? I think one has to stick to principles. When you're faced with a very hard stone, you've got to make sure the stone, you have good visibility, low intravenous pressure. And initially, I would normally start dusting the stone if I can. But there are times where the stone is very hard. Obviously, patience required from the clinician whilst dusting. If the stone is very hard, I do find that I change my laser settings and fragment if possible. Occasionally, you hear the expression, pop corn in, pop dusting. And if necessary, take that approach. But if I can, with a hard stone, fragment them enough to deploy a basket such as the N-gauge to remove the large fragments, hopefully it will speed things up. And Dr. Chi, Dr. Jay mentioned about popcorning and pop dusting. What are your preferred settings for those techniques or do you employ them at all? So for pop dusting, I will tend to go as high of an energy as I can and maintain as high of a frequency as I can. One of the settings that I've heard from some colleagues is 0.8 and 80. That lets you just really destroy a stone kind of wherever you're at. That high of a setting probably should only be used inside the kidney. On the particular machine that I have the ability to use, generally speaking, I'm going to go somewhere to the one joule, 1.2 joules range and then get as much frequency out of the machine as I can. And, you know, then I'm going to put my laser in a neutral position and just kind of let the fragments come to me. And as they're kind of popcorning around or moving around on their own as they're hit by the laser, they're going to bring themselves to the field of attack by the laser fiber itself. 
And so it's a lot more of a passive movement at that point. But the key in my mind is just to make sure that you're in a neutral position. So there's no chance that you're going to cause damage to the ileum or the tissue around you with these high energy settings. Well, I think we've had an excellent discussion. I'd like to close just by asking Dr. Ajayi what he thinks future modifications in laser technology would be helpful for us. Well, we started this podcast really talking about some of the problems with the lower watts laser machines. Now we're all getting used to the high watts laser machines now. And I think the ability to really have a situation whereby there's some artificial intelligence in the laser will be great <laughs> technology, whereby once you touch the stone, it adjusts itself to a setting for you, which is more linked to that particular stone. So having sort of new technology of that would help enormously. But I think having such high energy laser machines is very helpful. Being able to pulse modulate, change the frequency and as well, depending on the stone, makes it an exciting time for us and the urologists in order to improve the art of stone fragmentation. So I think that the future for laser technologies is very bright right now. To contextualize where I think a lot of the laser technology will really help us, you know, obviously we're in some challenging times right now and trying to keep patients safe and out of the hospital as much as possible. And I think that in the immediate and near future, our ability to use lasers to actually treat stones fast, efficiently, and in a same-day fashion I think that that's going to be a really important thing for all of our health systems in the near and immediate future. And so I think that the development of these new laser technologies, our ability to modulate energy and pulse widths and different types of contact are really exciting and very, very timely. So I think that the future looks bright for lasers. Well, it's certainly an exciting time to be an endourologist right now with all the latest advances and technology that are going on that are allowing us to treat our patients better and get them out of the hospital quicker and with less convalescence. I'd like to thank both of you. Dr. Chi and Dr. Ajayi for participating in this podcast, and I'd like to thank Cochiological for sponsoring this podcast. I hope the listeners will find this very useful in their practices. Thank you very much. Thank you.